Hello, I'm Corey Gerlitz, majoring in Corporate Communication and Public Affairs at SMU. Welcome to Hello Hilltop. Today I'm interviewing SMU professor Roseanne Hart. She has been a teacher at SMU since 2016, teaching fashion and public relations and strategic communications. Today she is here to talk about her experiences in the fashion and beauty industry before she became a professor. Welcome, Professor Hart. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Okay, so I hope I got all your experiences down. You've owned your own public relations agency in Dallas and New York. You've represented numerous fashion designers across the country and Europe. You've created ad campaigns. You were an ad director. You've written two beauty books, and you've been a reporter and editor. Did I miss anything? (laughs) Well, I'm a mom. I have two boys, and I'm a dog mom. (laughs) That's the most important job. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> My favorite jobs, actually. Okay. So what made you decide to open your own PR agency? I opened it back in the dark ages, back in the 80s, because there was no national fashion and beauty public relations agency um, west of the Hudson, basically. And my goal was to provide a journalistic approach to public relations as well as a national focus for those design firms uh, that were in Dallas and to bring some attention to the Dallas um, community, fashion community, and to do that on a national basis. So that's kind of what was the idea. And uh, it grew from there. So when I was doing my research on your agency, I saw that your company went from representing a small group of local fashion designers to eventually Fortune 500 companies. How were you able to create such a big name for your company to go to that? Well, I was very fortunate. I had um, good people working with me, and my New York arm was the former fashion and beauty editor for Working Woman magazine, who came out of a lot of magazine. Um, editorial experience. So once I opened up the agency in uh, New York, and it was a satellite agency, satellite office, and Jane Julivari headed that operation up, and we had a team on the ground in New York. So it, it really just grew from having uh, 10 basically small design designers in Dallas who were our initial clients and then grew from there. Uh, Probably the biggest client that we had early on was Art Expo New York, which came to Dallas for the first time in, I guess it was the mid-80s, and then they came back again and we represented them. And I think our name got out there because of that and it just kept growing. Part of the impetus for that growth was learning how to do marketing on our own company, and that was something that I really hadn't thought about doing, but it was something that I realized, well, if we do it for our clients, why aren't we doing it for our company? So that's really what happened. So we instituted the marketing campaign for the agency, and it got a lot of, um, what I want to say, We got a lot of good publicity, I got our name out there, and the networking was really terrific. And so from there, we just grew. (laughs) We just grew and grew and grew. 
Can you name a few of the most recognizable brands or people that you represented? We represented quite a few of the Dallas fashion community. And once that community sort of contracted as a result of basically NAFTA and so many companies going overseas, we started to diversify our account base and added beauty, lifestyle, real estate, shopping malls, and then ultimately um, Fortune 500 companies like Bristol-Myers Squibb, Pfizer, Hoffman LaRoche, JCPenney, and then Sally Beauty Supply, which was a division at the time of Alberto Culver. So those um, national names came well after we had been in business a good 10-some years, and it was a matter of having to diversify and change the basic focus of the agency to doing more um, large accounts, and a lot of them were retail. The fashion accounts, for the most part, really were smaller accounts and didn't provide enough of the revenue. So we floated that boat, so to speak, with our large accounts. And it just um, it was a it was a strategy that worked. And we had a lot of affiliates um, all over the United States. So the idea was that rather than be so capital intensive and having everything in-house, we established affiliate relationships with research firms, with uh, creative services up in New York, with um, publishing houses. (laughs) So we were able to provide our clients with services that you might have gotten from a big, huge agency, but a smaller agency like ours was able to give them that personal attention. But I wanted to keep the cost down internally from the agency side, so we established these strategic relationships with other entities. Now, you asked me about some of the names. Um, Besides Bristol-Myers Squibb, Pfizer, and Sally, we worked with Stanley Korshak here. We worked with Revlon. We worked with Yves Saint Laurent Rive Gauche. Uh, Benetton, Daniel Hester, Benefit Cosmetics. <laughs> Those are the ones I remember. And of course, JCPenney. <laughs> when you were creating ad campaigns, what were some of the biggest challenges you had to face? Oh gosh, Corey, I would have to say budgets. We were oftentimes in a situation where our clients didn't have big budgets, so we had to be pretty creative about how we bought media as well as how we executed on the creative side. So our approach was to hire the very, very best creative people we could and have them really execute and create a vision that we might have had for the client and then try to do it at a budget that would not break our client's budget. (laughs) So uh, we oftentimes had to really try to figure out ways to scrimp, so to speak. Um, Sometimes I had to serve as the art director while maybe I would like to hire an art director or as the stylist when I would have liked to hire a stylist. But I would say budget was really kind of a a big deal um, because when you're working with fashion designers and fashion firms, they don't have gigantic budgets. 
you think about the big brands like um, Ralph Lauren or um, Carolina Herrera or uh, Tommy Hilfiger, they all have really huge, big advertising budgets, but our clients didn't. So that was a real challenge. <laughs> Did you find yourself having more creative freedom when you were making the campaigns for the Dallas Marketing Center versus Vogue or Harper's Bazaar? Uh, no. Um, the Dallas Market Center was a little different kettle of fish. Um, I was the public relations and advertising director for the Mart, and basically the ad campaigns were really designed to get buyers there. So they were very trade-oriented. They weren't as creative. But when we were working on campaigns that would be um, placed in Vogue or Bazaar, Town and Country, or Seventeen, we really did try to get more creative and up our game, and, and it was just really a lot of fun. One of the best ones was Seventeen Magazine, where we had a girl and a guy who um, we were promoting nail polishes, and so we painted their fingernails all these different colors. Even the guy's hair was painted different colors, and it was considered kind of scathing at the time because he didn't have a shirt on. He looked very thin, and um, it sort of had a very suggestive element to it, but it was it was definitely on trend. It was really what was happening back in the 90s, but it ran in 17 magazine, and it was one of my favorite campaigns, but I don't know that I would do it again being a mom. <laughs> so would you say that the 17 campaign was your favorite event that you have put on? Oh, oh gosh, it was one of my favorites, but it, it's just, it's hard to say because there were just so many different things that we did. I think the beauty book was the most fun doing uh, writing those two beauty books on a ghost basis and then having the book appear on Oprah and MTV and televisions on the West Coast. And I can't even remember all of them. <laughs> but, yes, that was really a lot of fun. I wrote that when I was pregnant with, I think, Austin. Of all your experiences you've had in your career, what has been your favorite? Owning my own company. That was my most favorite thing to do. Yeah. It really was. It was do a joy. You, do you not own it anymore? No, I don't. I closed the agency's um, corporate um, entity in 2017, and I actually stopped really working in the agency after we finished up our work for Hertz Never Lost, and that was a big client that um, we did a lot of work for. So... Yeah, it was just um <laughs> it was it was a good ride, but it was a lot of pressure. And having two children and two houses and the agency and two offices, <laughs> it was quite a bit. Yeah. Would you say owning your own agency was the most challenging? It is, Corey, it was. And um when you own your own company and you're it you own the responsibility of those individuals' livelihoods. I mean, if you're the rainmaker for the company, you have 11 people or 12 people or 15 people who are depending on you to make things happen. 
And that means you've got to make sure that payroll and payroll taxes and the insurance is taken care of and and the sales taxes are taken care of and the training is done and the clients are happy. <laughs> so it's, it's a lot, but um, and it's challenging because what do you do when you lose clients? And in the public relations and advertising business, it's very volatile. So if you lose a client that represents 30% of your revenue, it's not always that easy to just pick it up and you don't want to lay people off. So if you're the owner of the agency or the company, a lot of times you're the one that doesn't get paid that month yeah. or several months after that. <laughs> after having such an amazing career in the fashion industry, what made you start teaching? Well, it never was really on my radar, but through Fashion Group International, which is an amazing organization, we have a chapter here in Dallas. We're one of the largest chapters of the organization in um, in the country. I had a lot of network uh, networking opportunities, and one of the teachers for El Centro, who teaches in the fashion marketing department, and she's since retired, she recommended me to Dr. Camille Kraplin, who was at the time the head of the fashion media program, as a possible uh, professor, teacher, speaker, and it just grew from there. And Camille and I became friends, Dr. Kraplin and I became friends, and then she introduced me to Dr. Dewey, and pretty soon I was teaching the fashion media and public relations course in 2014. So that's kind of how it happened. And, it, and I just loved it because I loved the students and I loved being able to share the experiences of the agency and give them real world examples of what they were learning in the classroom. So everything was about connecting the dots. So if, I, if you're given an assignment, which you know, <laughs> being in my class, yeah. if you're given an assignment, I do try to connect the dots. This is why it's important because, you know, somebody's going to ask you this question someday or you're going to need to do this at some point. So I just loved it. And I love the students and I love SMU and it was just, it was just a blast. It's, and it's been a blast. I just love it. <laughs> I just love it. Thank you, Professor Hart. We appreciate your insight today for our podcast. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to catch our other podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and more. Make sure to follow us on social by visiting our Facebook and Instagram accounts at SMU Hello Hilltop, where you can find behind-the-scenes information and upcoming podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you on the hilltop.